A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, the, th- thank you, Simon, for reading that teaching text. You're actually going to hear from Simon again in just a few minutes, but uh, the teaching text that Simon just read is actually sort of a, a collection of, of uh, writings of, uh, that we find in the Proverbs as it pertains, uh, most of them, to money directly and uh, all of them to money, at least indirectly. And uh, today we're continuing a teaching series in the book of Proverbs on wisdom Uh, We've entitled, cleverly, Get Wisdom. Of course, that comes from Proverbs, which says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And so uh, we are trying to get wisdom as a church around a handful of topics that I think are of particular interest and need for uh, those of us who call ourselves New Yorkers. And uh, uh, I talked the first week about wisdom itself, and then last week I talked about words. Um, Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, work, we're gonna, and we're going to talk about decision-making. But today, like I mentioned at the welcome, um, and so if you weren't here for the welcome, you didn't have the chance to escape, I'm talking about money. And let me say that I don't like talking about money. And what I mean is, like, not as a pastor. I, I'm, I can absolutely talk about money as a pastor. That doesn't bother me. So here I am standing before you as a pastor talking about money. That's fine. I personally don't like talking about money. And it was, it's always shocking, isn't it, about how easily New Yorkers talk about money. And um, I mean, if you go visit your relatives, you're not going to say, hey, what's your mortgage on this place, right? But we wouldn't think twice about saying, hey, what do you pay? I got this great apartment up in Washington Heights. Oh, what do you pay? We just talk about money all of the time. Um, So today we are going to talk about money, and we're going to do so from a biblical perspective uh, because money is one of the three sort of great ethical um, issues or themes or dilemmas that have concerned people throughout history, and throughout history, people have responded to this ethical theme of money in, in many different ways. The, uh, the Essenes were uh, a, a Jewish sect or so, or around Palestine, some, somewhere around um, 2 BC through the end of the, uh, the first century um, in Palestine, and they were known for living in seclusion from society, 
mostly doing manual labor and practicing strict self-denial. So those guys were around when, when Jesus was around. Uh, and then uh, later on, early Christians, we call them the Desert Fathers, for example, they renounced their possessions. And they, in a similar fashion, would take vows of poverty and they would leave and literally detach themselves from society and particularly the values of society, those values in particular that were opposed to the kingdom of God. And then we have like the, the Puritan response to the ethical uh, issue or theme of money. And, and, and the Puritan response is different in the sense that the emphasis was put on work itself or vocation. And so the sacred-secular divide between what we do in our spiritual lives and what we do in our work was in essence sort of like blown up or removed by the Puritans. And they saw work as a spiritual activity, so much so that the, the idea was you will find the presence of God most likely in your work, and so be on the lookout for, for God in those places. So um, my, the, the question is, how should we respond today? We're not, I don't think any of us moved to New York to live a monastic life or detached completely from society. So what would an appropriate reaction or response be for people like us who are seeking to live the way of Jesus in a place like New York City. My question is this, how might we live in such a way as New Yorkers that our thoughts and practices around money would be brought into alignment with God's design? That's the question I, I want to begin to get at today, which is in, in essence the definition of wisdom that we've been using throughout this teaching series. This is, the, this is the definition we've been using. Wisdom is the skill of living life according to God's design. Okay, so think about that for a second. When we talk about our words, and when we talk about money, and we talk about work, and we talk about uh, decisions, how, wisdom is the ability to engage with, to think about, and to put into practice a set of uh, sort of behaviors that bring us into alignment with the way that God has designed the world to actually be. So wisdom is bringing ourselves, according to the scriptures, into God's delight. God is delighted when we bring ourselves into alignment with the way he's created our lives to actually function, regardless of what uh, we apply wisdom to. So the thing that is one of the a few things I want to get across this morning is this, that we can't be neutral about money. We can't be neutral about money. We can't treat money as something separate from our spiritual lives or separate from the church. We can't pretend like money is just some sort of neutral object. It's not. The scriptures talk about money as power and as having a particular kind of power. And attached to money is the demon greed. And so the reason we can't remain neutral about money is because of greed and, and because there are a few things that have the power to destroy people's lives like greed. So Martin Luther, the reformer, used to say that there are three conversions necessary, the heart, the mind, and the purse. And so today I'm obviously primarily talking about the purse, but I think those three things all work in conjunction. And maybe I think, it's at least been my experience as a pastor for 20-something years, is my experience is the purse is the last conversion that we go through as followers of Jesus. So maybe today is a new conversion moment for you. Did you know that Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic except for the kingdom of God? Did you know that? Some of you are nodding your heads because a pastor has preached a sermon on money before and you were there to hear it. And he said that, guaranteed, or she said that, guaranteed. Um, 
as I like reflect on that, I think maybe Jesus was a New Yorker, or at least he would have like fit right in with uh, our culture. When it comes to Jesus and, and the scriptures, there are in essence like two streams of teaching. There's a, a dark stream and a light stream of teaching about money. And so when we read what Jesus said about money, um, oftentimes it's the dark stream that jumps off the page at us, but he also had other things to say. But the dark stream of teaching is difficult for us to receive, but it's really necessary. It's necessary if we're going to grow in wisdom to hear what Jesus and the Scriptures have to say about the dark side or dark stream of money. Well, the other teaching stream around money in the Scriptures is the light stream where money can help us, actually, in life, where it can bless and where it can actually sort of help us in our pursuit of Jesus as we seek His kingdom here. I'm not going to get into the teaching, what Jesus actually said on money today, which sounds weird, doesn't it? That I'm talking about money, but I'm not going to talk about what the Bible has to say about money. I'm, I'm going to, I'll tell you where I'm going to go with this in just a second. But I do want to at least point out that there are two modern distortions that come typically that we see um, in the church around, uh, that have come from both the dark stream of, of teaching from the Bible and the, the light stream of teaching about the Bible, uh, uh, from the Bible. And those two modern distortions are this, that money as a sign of God's blessing and money as completely neutral and depersonalized. These are two distortions we won't get into a whole lot today, but they are distortions we need to be aware of. Is money a sign of God's blessing? If we take it as such, then what do we do with the inverse? What, what then do we say about poverty? So you see, it becomes problematic when we just, someone walks into our home, oh, you have such a beautiful home, yes, we're just so blessed. Now, you are blessed, and that's great, but, and, 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 Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. So in a sense, you could obviously say, yes, everything is from God. It is. But blessing itself can be removed. It, can, it isn't always a sign of God's blessing, right? Um, or money, wealth, is not always a sign of God's blessing. And the second one, uh, money is uh, as completely neutral and depersonalized. Well, this distortion fails to see what I mentioned a second ago, which is that money is a power uh, with a life of its own. And if you don't believe me, then just see what Jesus has to say about, Matthew, uh, about money in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Um, it's Jesus turns money into, and he talks about it as an entity, as a, as a being that has its own sort of power. And I want to point that out because we, we all come from very different places. Some of us come into Trinity Grace Church, and this is kind of our first real church experience in the Christian church. Um, others of us, many of us come from sort of different streams of Christianity. And when we talk about money in the church, we, we sometimes sort of like fall into some of these distortions. And I just want to say that neither of these distortions really accurately reflect what Jesus actually has to say about money in, or, or what the Scriptures have to tell us about money. So what I do want to give you today is not what Jesus or the Scriptures teach about money. And the reason I don't want to do this is because you can read that for yourself. Go on the Googles, type in Bible money, okay? And um, you might get some televangelists pop up, whatever, scroll through those, and then you should very easily be able to find references, all of the references to money in, in the Scriptures, and you can, and I want to encourage you to, to read those for yourselves. Instead, I want to use the limited time we have to... Um, to give you what we might be able to use as a new kind of vow or 
a modern response to the ethical issue of, of money, a pathway for us as a community to grow in wisdom when it comes to uh, money. And of course, we're going to do that from the book of Proverbs. Because wisdom, living according to God's design, again, brings us into God's delight. And the truth is we need help around the issue of money, all of us. We need help around this issue. So how do we get wisdom about money? Seven ways we can grow in wisdom around the issue of money. Number one, we can get in touch with our feelings about money. Now, it sounds a little bit weird and touchy-feely for some of you. Others of you are totally with me and you totally get it. Uh, listen to Proverbs 12, 25. I actually read this last week as well. An anxious heart weighs a man down. This also applies to a, a woman, I've noticed. An anxious heart weighs a man weighs a woman, no, one's, uh, no one can avoid it, down, but a kind word cheers him slash her up. And then in Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. So we have a lot of anxiety, a lot of feelings around money that we don't often pause long enough to, to really consider. I read an article, it was like two days ago, on CNBC about um, the debt of Americans and how now it's being attributed, or m much of it being contributed to what experts call money disorders. We, we, we don't relate to money in healthy ways, and that creates disorder in our lives. Somewhere in 2018 of December, December of 2018, consumer debt uh, reached $4 trillion. It's a, it's, a, it's a record high. So we know everyone's in debt. We get that part of it. But again, experts say, well, a, a, a big reason for that is, is because of this money disorder thing. And so I'm just going to read a quick little excerpt. Um, Brad Klontz, author of Mind Over Money and co-founder of the Financial Psychology Institute, says that money disorders is an umbrella term for recurring and self-defeating issues that people have with money. This is a real thing, and we all experience it too. According to Klontz, money disorders are often the result of underlying psychological issues like anxiety, depression, or trauma. So what he's saying is a lot of our money issues come from the underlying instability or unhealth in our lives. So I also think it works the other way. We, we become anxious and we become depressed and we suffer trauma also because of money. So it's, a, it's, it's like a cycle that just keeps sort of going round and around. And so according to this uh, article, he says that, the treat, that treatment for this requires that people think about their behaviors and feelings towards money. Now, I found this article after the point. I didn't think that was great. I usually don't refer to pop psychology in my sermons very often, or at least not the basis of a point in my sermon, but it at least goes to support this idea that we can't separate our actual emotional health from money. Um, and so my question for you today is, what are your feelings about money? Now, if you're like me, if you're like me, you have a hard time identifying your feelings. So I've, I've, I've included just a helpful tool here for you this morning. If you were texting your friend this morning about money, which emoji would you use? Would you just say, you just say money, dot, 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 and then insert your emoji. That's how you feel about money, okay? Some of you have real fear right now around money. Some of you are dealing with insecurity, and some of you guilt, and some of you shame. These are very real feelings we have about money, and we need to recognize what those things are. Just as a positive note, this is where we're trying to get to. Next one here, there it is. Okay, that's, that's what we're aiming for. That's God's delight. All right. 
so, so many of us are asking questions about, about money. And here, I, I listed some of the questions that you're probably asking about money. Do I have enough money? That's a question that we all want to know. Do I have, some of you, a few of you, do I have too much money? That's such a New York thing. I say that and everyone laughs. <laughs> no one ever has enough money. Yes, you do. I'm going to show you in a second. Am I being judged because of how much money I have? Am I being judged because of how little money I have? Where will the money I need actually come from? Uh, will I go hungry? Will I lose my home? Will I sink deeper into debt? The big one, of course, is can I afford to stay in New York City? So we can't ignore how we feel about money if we're to grow in wisdom. This is where we start. It's connecting and seeing how connected our lives are to this issue and recognizing that point of connection and going from there. Number two, we can, uh, in our pathway toward wisdom, we can stop denying our wealth. So listen to Proverbs 12, 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. Now, I'm not saying we're lying intentionally about our wealth. Maybe we are. But we, we need to um, be honest about the amount of wealth that each of us and all of us have. I've not met many, many people here in New York who say, you know what, I have all the money I need. I've not met one person who has said that. Now, you might, be in, you might feel that way, but I've never heard you say that. I've never, I've never said it. You know what, I'm good. I'm good. How much is too much? What I have right now, I don't need as much money as I have. Never heard that. From the poorest person in our community to the wealthiest person in our community, nearly all of us feel poor in some relative way. And I'm basing that on anecdotal, actual conversations that I have with, with, uh, with this community. And, and growing in wisdom requires us to stop, all of us, to stop denying our wealth. And we have a lot of people in, in this community, and of course a lot of people in New York, and a lot of people throughout this country who live paycheck to paycheck, and really actually wondering how long you can sustain life here in New York City financially. And those of us that are asking that question, we are still among the wealthiest people in the world. Please, please hear me when I say, like, this is, what I'm saying right now, this is not, like, about guilt. It's not about shame. If you're feeling feelings of guilt and shame, go back to your emoji and say, that's what I feel about money and hold on to that. But it's, this isn't to elicit that. It might uncover it, but it's not to make you feel guilty or shameful about this. What, what I'm trying to get at is perspective. And what the Scriptures, I think, want to bring us, uh, the place that the Scriptures want to bring us to is the place of perspective when it comes to wealth. M many of you have looked at the Global Rich List, and um, you can go to globalrichlist.com. You can type in how much money you make, and it'll tell you how wealthy you actually are compared to the world. So I looked up a couple of things for us. If you make minimum wage in New York City, at least starting December, I'm sorry, starting January 2019, uh, minimum wage will be $15 in New York City. If you make minimum wage in New York City and you work 40 hours a week, you're in the top 1.23% richest people in the world by income. Okay, obviously you're not in the top 1.23% richest people in New York City. I get that. It's a different thing, but just trying to give some perspective. Here's another one. If you earn a starting salary for a first-year New York City teacher, starting salary, first-year New York City teacher. They're underpaid, by the way. I'm put a little word in for them. But if that's you, you are in the top 
to 1% richest people in the world by income. Here's the third one, because I thought, man, I don't want people to feel bad about this. If you draw the average salary for a pastor in New York City, <laughs> you are in the top 0.07 richest people in the world by income. Isn't that a, thank you, Depot. Thank you, thank you. All of this, of course, is totally relative. People in the city and people all over the world need to be able to earn a living wage, and that's not happening. And that has to do with legislation and advocacy and all, all kinds of things that we are 100% for. M meaning a single, uh, single income family of three um, is really going to struggle making minimum, uh, just making minimum wage in New York City. Struggle to live. Struggle with sort of basic things that all of us have. But the point is, most, not all of us, but most of us, have more wealth than we admit. Mostly because we compare ourselves with people who have more. But I, think there's a, I think there's a bigger reason. I think the reason why we have trouble sort of coming to terms with how wealthy we are is because we all feel the weight of financial burden, no matter how much money you make. And so we all feel this. But admitting our wealth is, a, is, a, is on the pathway to, to wisdom. It pulls us in a, in a, in a direction of, of alignment of our attitudes and then our practices with, with God's design. Number three, we can cultivate an atmosphere of confession and freedom. So if we want to grow in wisdom... We want to experience the delight of God when it comes to money. We, we want to create an, a, a, or cultivate an atmosphere around us or within which we can, we can sort of be a, a part that, uh, is, that includes confession and freedom. And this is Proverbs 3. This is one of the most uh, quoted Proverbs in all of the Bible. Trust, uh, trust in all the church. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So where do we go with all of that fear that we have around money? Where do we go with all that insecurity we have around money? Where do we go with all that guilt that sort of comes up when we begin talking about money and how wealthy we are in relation to the rest of the world? Well, I, I want to just state this from the front. We want to be the kind of community where we can experience freedom, where we can experience healing together, where we can walk together um, and, and, and face that fear and insecurity and, and, and guilt head on. We, we want to be a community of grace. Uh, we want to be a community where we extend the freedom of Christ uh, that is already ours. We can extend that to one another because there could be so much guilt and so much shame around money. I mean, what if every person in this church felt the freedom to lean not on their own understanding, but in this sort of gracious community confess in order to find healing and, and hope. I, I think it's actually easier, it's not easy, but it's, I think it's easier to confess other things in the church with a group of trusted people around us. I think it's easier to, uh, to confess sexual sin. I think it's easier to confess other habitual sins, maybe easier to confess addiction than it is to confess I'm having trouble with my money. Now, isn't that crazy to think about? It's just money, but it has a power. There's something to it, and it has a pull on our lives. Some of you have some financial needs right now, 
like some big ones, and you're ashamed or you're afraid to talk about those needs. You don't want to be that person, or you don't want to, you don't want to receive handouts, or whatever it is, whatever sort of message you got when you were growing up about money that's sort of now coming to the surface, but you feel ashamed uh, to talk about it. Uh, can I say this? We all feel like that. We all feel like that. I said at the beginning, I don't like talking about money, not as a pastor, but just as a person. I just feel weird about it. I don't like you knowing my business, and I, I don't like you knowing like my credit score, and I don't want you to... I mean, what if I just showed you my credit score? That would, I would have to leave the church if that happened, so I don't want to do that. We all have, we all feel this, but that's not what God has for us, to live under that weight, to live under that burden. It's a tactic, actually, of the enemy to isolate us from this community, and oftentimes it's guilt and shame and embarrassment about money that does the work of isolation in our lives. The Scripture teaches us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we believe as a church. There's zero condemnation. We're all living in it right now. So we want to cultivate a community here where uh, talking about and confessing and fighting freedom, finding freedom is normal about all kinds of things. So we've been able to say, hey, your money's messed up. Let's talk about it. So I've asked Simon McGowan, would you come on up, Simon? I've asked Simon McGowan to talk about one of the ways, primary ways, that we as a church are, are, are working to cultivate a community of confession and freedom. Thanks, Simon. Hi, good morning. I've gotten up here a few times, so hopefully this is a bit of a refresher. Um, but thanks for having me up here again, Derek. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about financial counseling ministry again. And uh, to welcome you all to it, um, it doesn't really matter if, uh, I would like to first, disclaimer, financial counseling isn't just for emergencies. It isn't just if you have debt. It, it's really to talk, to seek wisdom, to seek guidance on how we even approach money and what money is in our lives. Um, it's much more than just the balance sheet. So what is financial counseling? It's a three to six month commitment uh, to work with a counselor to focus on potentially debt reduction, budgeting, saving, and living a life of generosity. Um, but this also includes looking at greater things as well, uh, which is stewardship of this life, of not just our finances, but also our time and our skills, and how all those things are connected when we look at a balance sheet. Uh, we marry an analytical approach to your finances with a spirit-filled, prayer-led, and judgment-free space to explore financial, your financial circumstances and ultimately, we seek to form disciples in Christ. So when we talk a lot about, you know, from death to life, from striving to abiding, which is a big one, right, in the city, um, we can't do those things if we don't talk fundamentally about the balance sheet. So we now have six, six counselors. There's six counselors in this community of this church willing to give their time and a free cup of coffee to meet with you, usually the first time's a little long because we want to get to know you, we want to get to understand what's your family background, um, how did you learn or have not learned much about finances, and how can we kind of demystify it a little bit? So we're getting to know you on that first time, two to three hours maybe, two hours. Um, and uh, uh, let's see, and then we will work with you on creating a budget for about two weeks, come back a little, another two weeks, and it's usually once a month it can go on for up to six months. It's gone longer when uh, one of my people I was counseling uh, got uh, engaged. So that was fun to bring in now another person with this perspective. 
And um, yeah, there's a couple ways you can reach out to learn more about financial counseling, to get a counselor, become a counselor if you like. Uh, so one of those ways is our website. Um, do we have that slide or no? Just that, okay. Or right there, there's my, that's my actual cell phone number and personal email account. So write that down, take a sh uh, shot at it. But you can go to our website as well. Uh, there is a tab at the top right for financial counseling and you can book an appointment. Or on our app as well, there is a get help, um, which I'd rather be get guidance, get wisdom maybe, get wisdom. Um, you can go there as well and look at financial counseling and connect or I'm right here. I think I'm the only tall redhead in the church. So look out for me, reach out, say hello, and uh, we'd love to work with you and come alongside you and ultimately together become more like Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Number four, we can find a partner. Okay, I came up with this myself. Um, we need to find a partner in dime. That's right. I said it. It's a partner. So listen to this. Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever... I heard uh, some laughter when the teaching text was being read around this one. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Don't you love how straightforward the Proverbs are? If the whole Bible was that straightforward, it'd be much easier to read. Everyone needs someone to follow Jesus with. I hope you hear that this morning. Our church really believes that. Everyone needs someone to follow Jesus with. We need someone to hold us accountable. We need someone to grow with. We, we need someone to be in partnership with so that God might even use us and speak through us in the life uh, of another person. Someone in, in, we need someone in our life who can say, hey, I think your money is funny. Or I think you might be falling under like a money spell. Let's talk about it. Why are you making these decisions you're making about work? Is that just about financial gain? We make a big deal uh, of belonging here because we, we just simply can't do it alone. So we have these intentional ways where we have volunteer trained financial counselors who are busy but are stewarding their time, giving their time to help us find freedom in here. You can find someone in your small group to just say, hey, would you walk with me? Or just begin introducing the topic of money in your ongoing discussions that you have with people in your community. Someone to study the scriptures with, someone to grow in wisdom together. Everybody needs a friend, a partner. Number five, we can be with the poor. This is the fifth thing that we can do to sort of begin walking a path toward wisdom when it comes to our money. We can, in fact, we should be with the poor. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And then Proverbs 22, 9, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Do you know what affluence does? We, so we just recognized we probably are all, at least globally speaking, way wealthier than we ever imagined that we are. And you know what affluence does to us? Affluence distances us from the poor. That's what affluence does. The more wealthy we become, it's natural the, the more distance we become from the poor. And that's a problem. That's a problem if we're following Jesus because Jesus was so close to the poor. And the poor were so close, to, like disproportionately close 
to Jesus. So the question is, how can we do the one thing that Jesus t- tells us to do, which is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself, if, we, if we're distanced from our neighbor because money separates us? Well, one of the ways we can begin to close the gap here is by serving, is by being with the poor. Many of you know this because we've talked about it a lot and we have for years. Every Sunday afternoon, a group of Trinity Grace folks spends a couple of hours at the Emmaus house in Harlem just simply serving the poor who show up for food and support and and clothing. Just going to sort of like restock shelves or to put food or items of clothing in bags or to walk with people or to help process process them, them through to make sure they're getting what they need. Others in our community are connected to a house on Beekman in the South Bronx which began out of of Trinity Grace Church. The South Bronx is one of the poorest neighborhoods in the entire country, and it's just across the Harlem River. And so you say, well, I want to grow in wisdom. Well, if we're not willing to be with the poor, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very difficult for us to grow in wisdom when it comes to money, because it's not that you or I have something to teach the poor when we serve them, it's we have something to learn from them. And oftentimes, it's through the people that we least expect God to speak that he speaks. And oftentimes, as affluent people, we think, I'm not sure how God can minister to me through this person because they just don't have as much as I do, and yet God shows up so often. When we serve and when we support and when we learn in relationship to the poor, what we're doing is we're embodying the spirit of Jesus, which enables us then to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we have to be intentional. In other words, you're not going to get next to the poor or get close to the poor this week on accident. They might get close to you, but you're not getting close to them, not, in an intention, not unless you're intentional. And wisdom with money requires that we be with the poor. Number six, we can learn to practice inner renunciation. First, we're talking about feelings. Now we're talking about inner things. This is starting to feel a little bit weird. Listen to Proverbs 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich, New Yorkers. I mean, if there's ever a verse for this community, it's this verse. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. What is inner renunciation? That sounds a little weird. What is inner renunciation? Inner renunciation, for our purposes this morning, is a state in which nothing belongs to us and everything is available to us. I want you to think about, it's like a collective like, ah, that feels good, doesn't it? To be in a place where nothing belongs to us and yet everything is available to us. If you've ever had a neighbor that owns a truck, you know what this feels like. You, you don't have to do the maintenance on the truck. You, you don't have to pay the insurance on the truck, but it's available to you. You get to use it. Or even better, like a boat. So if any of you owns a boat and wants me to experience God's best for me, then just let me know. And what I want to remind you of this morning is that you have a father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, I'm going to translate that for you this morning. Here's the equivalent. Your father owns the brownstones on a thousand blocks. That's the father you have. Everything belongs to the father. Nothing belongs to you, right? That's the truth. See, inner renunciation is bringing our thoughts into alignment with the thought of God. 
Psalm 24, 1 through 2, the psalmist captures this beautifully. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Though nothing belongs to us, because God is our Father, it's all available to us. It's God's to worry about. It's God's to do maintenance on. It's God's to think about. It's God's to manage. It's God's to release and to move around. It's ours to enjoy. It's ours to receive. I can renounce the world's values and embrace kingdom values because the king is my father. That's what gives me the ability to do it. Number seven and finally, we can give with glad and generous hearts. How can we begin moving in wisdom in New York City as it pertains to money, according to the Proverbs? Proverbs 21, 26, all day long he craves for more, true, but the righteous give without sparing. All day long we have this craving for more, except maybe a Levain's cookie. You can only do one of those, if that, and then you just say no more. But everything else we, we crave more of. We earn money and we crave more. We get a raise and we crave more. We get time and we crave more. We have free time and we crave more. We crave for more, but the righteous give without sparing. I read this this week. I thought it was really profound. It's actually an economist that said it, Edward Bauman. He, he said that money is a form of power so intimately related to the possessor that one cannot consistently give money without giving self. I think this gets to the biblical principle of giving. Our money, what we call our money, and we hold on to so tightly, it is so closely related to us. And we see it as a part of us. And we trust it, and we need it, we need more of it, we want more of it. We're insecure if we don't have it, we have fear when we do have it that we're gonna lose it. That is so intimately connected to who we see ourselves are, that we, when we give money, it has this amazing sort of effect where we feel as if we are giving a part of ourselves, because I think in a very spiritual sense, we are. And some of us may be called to give out of the overflow that we have, and some of us in this room, quite honestly, might be called to give out of our need, but we're all called to give, because giving out of this sort of place of glad and uh, glad generosity, it changes us, it transforms us, it actually has the power to make us more like Jesus, more so than many of the other disciplines that we often, often like to talk about and think about when it comes to following Jesus. Giving out of a glad and sincere heart might have a greater effect on your life this week than reading the Bible every day. I'm not suggesting we pit one practice against another, but what I'm suggesting is giving really matters. I love being able to stand up in front of you as a pastor and say, look, we're doing fine as a church financially. Great. We're not going to launch some big campaign. I'm not going to do a marriage series to try and get more people in the door, which is, has been tried and, and been found to be true, and it works. Uh, we're not going to do that because we need more money. What, what I do want to call you, because we're doing fine, but what I do want to call you and myself to is to really pursuing Jesus as our first and primary pursuit. And there's very little in our lives that can keep us from pursuing Jesus or pull us in a, another direction like money. 
And I, Calvin gets to, John Calvin gets to the heart of this, not Calvin Klein, John Calvin gets to the heart of this when he, he says that the, the only right stewardship is that which is tested by love. The only right stewardship is that which is tested by love. So I want to challenge you to think about what it would look like to participate in your own discipleship, in your own becoming like Christ, your transformation through giving. Some of you are in a difficult financial place. I love Simon's heart on this issue is so amazing. He's the right person to help oversee this financial, financial counseling thing because I remember years ago, he and I having a conversation, and we've had it a few times since, which is the church talks so much about the first 10% and giving the first 10% of your income to God, but what about the other 90%? How are we helping people with that? Look, what we would love to do would be to come alongside you to, to help you get to a place of freedom where you can give more generously than you ever imagined that you could so that you might be able to participate in new and fresh ways of you becoming like Jesus. Um, I, most of our people, I don't know, it's like 90-something percent of our people give online, and a huge percentage of those of you who give online, you've created a giving schedule. You've just built it into your sort of everyday sort of ongoing rhythm of life. And so I want to invite the rest of you to, to do that. It doesn't matter how much. This is not about the amount of money that's given. It's about the practice of giving away something that's so intimately connected to how we see ourselves that we can't help but to give ourselves away when we give in gladness and sincerity. So, in conclusion, if we're going to seriously pursue Jesus in a place like New York, we have to grow in wisdom around money because there's a lot of weird stuff out there about it. And I think we, we have to detach if we hope to delight. We have to detach from New York City money values in order to delight in the kingdom values of God the Father who, by the way, made everything and designed it all to work in a particular way. So my prayer for us is like, Look, as we continue to pursue what God has for us as a church, that the Father would guide us along this pathway to wisdom around uh, this issue of money. Uh, and my prayer is that we would reflect the values of the kingdom and live in the delight of the king. This is the beginning of wisdom. Get.